Welcome everyone to another episode of the Inspire Wire podcast. I'm your host, Tom Murphy. Um, if you're new to the podcast, welcome. And you guys are going to enjoy this episode. Um, I can be reached at uh, on Twitter at InspireWirePod and in, at InspireWirePod at gmail.com for email. And my website is uh, inspirewire.org. No, no, theinspirewire.org. And definitely get into contact with us. Um, send me whatever you want, tips, ideas, and whatnot. We'd love to have you as a guest on the podcast. All right. Um, I want to get to this interview. It was probably... it. It came out great. It was probably probably the best interview I think so far. Um, and major props to uh, our guest on the show, Eldon Solomon, experimental social psychologist uh, out of Skidmore College. Um, he's got a book that came out in 2015 called "The Worm at the Core." Um, talks about death-related anxiety. Um, and his theory that hit him and his two other colleagues from, uh, from, uh, the University of Kansas, um, formed from a lot of research and the ideas of Ernest Becker, um, and they, and they called it terror management theory. Um, and I get right into it talking about it, but, um, just a little backstory, um, his guest seminar at Williams College in social psychology when I was, I think, a junior um, definitely changed my life. Um, I was able to realize all the different ways that um, I was doing different things in order to build up my self-esteem um, and, and the way that terror management theory describes why we do these things to build up our self-esteem um it really is really interesting uh we get to talk about a lot of different things but um he's really a smart guy inspirational and really one of the guys who i really wanted to talk to when i first started this podcast so it's a real um proud moment for the podcast and i think you guys will really enjoy the um uh, really enjoy it. I also wrote, um, some, uh, in, I wrote a blog about terror management theory. Um, and I got, uh, another podcast where I talked with another guy about it. Um, and, uh, I will recommend his book and a lot of his videos and, um, he's in documentaries and whatnot. So, um, I'll definitely post those to the show notes page, but, uh, I want to get to the interview now. Um, so enjoy it. This is um, the Inspire Wire with special guest Professor Sheldon Solomon. Jesus. 
time but thanks again uh sheldon for uh coming on the podcast my pleasure it's great to be here yeah um but i guess one thing that i'd like to start off with is kind of just talking about like when i first got into um your book your um terror management theory one thing i was thinking about was like i realized all the different ways that um just death comes into your little minutia of daily life. Um, and it's a, you know, I appreciate when that happens because I'm just reminded it, it kind of brings you down to reality. Um, but then when I try to describe it to other people, it's difficult because they're like, oh, I bought this at the grocery store. How could this possibly be relate? So it's just hard for me sometimes to, you know, um, describe that. And I don't know if there's a better way. I don't know if you have a good way to kind of explain that at all. But, uh, you know, for me, I was just trying to explain like, you know, self-esteem and e everything we do is through self-esteem. And sometimes that little thing we bought at the grocery store is goes into that, you know, it's, I don't know. It's difficult to uh, explain that. Maybe, but uh, you just did. Yeah. I, okay. I mean, so my sense is that the difficulty surrounding these ideas is in part, as odd as it may sound, that to the extent that they have any merit, they're going to be tough to articulate. Yeah. So, so the bottom line is that. Um, the argument that we make, which is based on um, a dead guy named Ernest Becker, who right. won a Pulitzer Prize in like 1974 for a yep. book called The Denial of Death. And Becker's point is, you know, it's disarmingly simple. He's like, look, like all living things, human beings want to stay alive. That's yeah. one of these like, duh, you know, Darwin, yeah. living things like to stay alive. Yeah. But the big difference, according to Becker, is that we're so smart that we realize that we're here. Yeah. And like, all right, that's great. Way to go, humans. But his point is that, you know, if you know that you're here, that's awesome. But it can also be psychologically debilitating to the point where you can't stand up in the morning. Yeah. Because if you know that you're here and you're not a baby or an idiot yeah you know then you have to realize yeah. directly or indirectly that you're not going to be here forever yeah it's amazing how how like how smart our like our brains are to just like it's so in us and yes. we're just so you know it's just like so deeply ingrained it's so complex and we're still able to just 
just push it down there or whatever it go, is. There you, you go. Know? And so, again, you're not having trouble. You got it exactly. So, yeah. the you know, Becker's point in the terror management is just based on his ideas is that, you know, if that's all you thought about, you know, I'm going to die someday. You know, I can walk outside and get hit by yeah. a meteor. And, you know, I'm basically, you know, an ambulatory assortment of blood and guts. Yeah. And he's like, you just wouldn't be able to stand up. You'd be hiding under your desk, you know, groping for large vats yeah. of alcohol. And so, you know, the way that we're able to kind of push that in the back of our psychological landscape is by embracing cultural worldviews that give us a sense that life has meaning and that also give us opportunities to pursue self-esteem, which is the belief that we're valuable people in yeah. a meaningful universe. And I, and I think that the subtle idea that you got to think about for a minute is what Becker's saying is that every one of us, whether we're aware of it or not, we go to extraordinary lengths to maintain confidence in our beliefs and a sense that we're valuable participants in our world. And, and that's the self-esteem part. Yeah. And that the reason we're doing that is to keep the awareness of death as much as we can out of our heads. Yeah. And so, you know, some people, at least in my experience, Tom, some people is like, so when you say, well, just about everything that you do is to enhance self-esteem, I think some people could say, well, all right, I kind of get that. Right. You know, not, and there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. You know, it, it, why not? I want to be a good athlete. I want to be yeah. successful in my career. Uh, uh, the, what's, what's harder is that, is the claim that why you're doing that is because you don't want unconscious death anxiety to sneak yeah. into yeah. awareness. Yeah. Uh, and, but, but what's hard to swallow and you're not going to win arguments, uh, <laughs> uh, on this point yeah. is when you say to people, oh Yeah. That, you know, you're like, oh, I don't get it. I don't think about death that much. Yeah. And the point is, is, yeah, you don't think about it that much because you're lucky enough to be comfortably ensconced in your worldview. Yeah, you're more worried about whether or not your college team is going to win the next basketball game yeah. or whether or not you're going to be able to do another pull-up at the gym. Uh, you're not thinking about death anxiety. Yeah. On the other hand, if your team lost or if you couldn't do a pull-up or if somebody disparaged your culture or your self-esteem, well, then death anxiety is more readily conscious. Yeah, yeah that, that was interesting about like your research and how you guys were um, talking about how all these different like little things can, that just, you know, bring up those things that um you know uh feelings of uh death you know, just death related anxiety and um it really makes a difference it really just it uh brings in the proximal uh defenses right wow yeah. you got it that's yeah. right nice so, so yeah 
Well, you, so, you know, backing up a bit before you were born, you know, when we started thinking about these ideas, nobody thought that they were true. Yeah. You know, and, and people dismissed the Becker dude. They just said, well, that's that's interesting, but it's just speculation. Yeah. And, and so what we did, you know, was to develop these really simple laboratory paradigms. Right. Uh, and, you know, one of them was just to remind people that they're going to die. Yeah. You know, sometimes we just say, hey, write down your thoughts and feelings about dying. Yeah. Sometimes we're more clever. I think we interview people in front of a funeral parlor. Okay. Or a hundred meters to either side. Yeah. Other times we flash the word death so fast on a computer that you can't yeah. even see it. Interesting. And, yeah. and yeah, and what's astonishing is that when we do that, the range of attitudes and behaviors that are profoundly affected is beyond anything that we would have ever expected. Yeah. You know, so Becker said, oh, fear of death, that's the master motive. And we're like, well, that's got to be an overstatement. Yeah. But so far, uh, that's not proven to be the case. And so when we remind people that they're going to die, you know, you like your own people more, you hate people that are different, you sit further away from people that look different. It's amazing how... Uh, much our group dynamics are ingrained in like the human condition. We're so social and we need to have that group. That's right. It's, it's like very tribal. Tribal is exactly the right word. Yeah. And you know, from an evolutionary standpoint, it makes sense. It makes a ton of sense. And so we don't have to like this, Yeah. uh, but we are ultra social tribal primates. Yeah. And, for most of human history, this probably served us well. Yeah, and that's the constant battle now. Is like we're re- like we are realizing how much of our uh, like of who we are is based on evolution, yep. and how like it, it's frustrating when you are thinking about like all of the things that the body, the mind, and the body, um, the. The constant battle yeah. between the two, it's huge. And it's like, it's frustrating. And, but it's also, you can, there are a lot of great things about, you know, our evolution, our human condition, our, and our, our nature. Um, and then there's also, you know, you want to transcend that. Yeah. So it's, it's tough. Yeah. Well, save that thought because okay. I think that's the, that's the take home message here. Yeah. Well, there's several. You just said some very cool things. You know, one is, yeah, you kind of step back sometimes and you're like, holy shit. (laughs) Well, we are, like it or not, products of literally billions of years of evolution. And moreover, we are evolved to successfully survive and reproduce in an environment that is no longer here. Yeah. You know, so this E.O. Wilson dude, who I like a lot, yeah. you know, he just says we have space age technology <laughs> yeah. uh, with stone age emotions. Right. And that's what sometimes gets us into trouble. Big time. Big time. Yeah. But but you also made a point that I just think is uh, very important to, uh, you know, raise explicitly. And that is that um, this is not all bad. Right. Uh, you know, when we talk about 
oh, you know, we know we're going to die someday, you know, that can bring out the best in us, too. Yeah. It, it could really make us appreciate the time that we have. And I think at our best, uh, you know, make us more empathetic and more cooperative. Tribal need not be bad. Right. Uh, it's only when we get into this kind of tribal pissing match where we see everything that happens that's good to another group is necessarily at the expense of our group. Yeah. Uh, you know, to put it in psychobabble, if you see intergroup relations as a zero-sum game, uh, then things are going to be pretty ugly. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it, it's it's difficult to think about a world that, you know, you can, you know, lose our differences and just um, be very, you know, empathetic towards one another. Um, but it definitely is possible when you realize why you are having those negative emotions towards one another. You're like, I'm only thinking I'm only thinking badly about that person because I just want to build myself up. There you go. And then you're just like, wow, this is very pointless. Why did I, you know? Yeah. Well, and so there there it is. So there's the take home message and yeah. it's an old one. I mean, the the Greek injunction to know thyself is as um compelling today as it was thousands of years ago and the little twist that the greeks didn't know is and this is where freud comes in is that it's difficult to know thyself uh, because most of thyself is buried under uh, you know metaphorically tons of psychological debris yeah uh, to keep you from being constantly aware uh, of your ultimate fate because yeah. again if that's all you thought about i'm gonna die someday you wouldn't even go outside yeah uh, and so you know so even when we say that um you know in order to stand up in the morning people have to deny the fact that they're going to die that's not an indictment of human character that's just a sober statement of the reality of the human condition yeah definitely definitely um and we were talking about Ernest Becker uh, recently, um, and one thing that I think that was really interesting and pretty crucial was when he was talking about, um, he, he talked a decently long time about um, the development of, you know, once we finally realize this as the development of our, our child brains yeah. and how, and I thought it was really important because, um you know, we realize it so quickly. It's amazing. Yeah, and it is. And, uh, you know, my joke with the Skidmore students is, okay, don't have kids to check this out. You yeah. know, have plants and pets first. But I didn't. I really wasn't convinced of a lot of these ideas, particularly Becker's claims that, um, these existential concerns arise early in childhood until we had our own kids, you know, our kids and my buddies, Tom and Jeff, and all of them long before we thought they could possibly be worried about that, expressed concerns about, am I going to die? What's going to happen? Yeah. In the whole, the, um, discussion about, um, 
you know, monsters yeah. and just all that kind of stuff is just very interesting to think about because they're constantly searching for that security. And when they realize that, wow, it's just like we're kind of alone out here, it's it's crazy. It is crazy. Yeah. That's correct. Uh, um, you know, really, it's um, as Becker puts it in, in some of his books, it's a, it's a paradox because yeah. the very psychological attributes that make us so explosively imaginative and creative are the same set of cognitive capacities that render us psychologically vulnerable and always potentially on the existential abyss. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's difficult because I am constantly thinking about um how you know when i was growing up like the different ways that i did that and how and it's amazing uh over and over again how crucial that time is and and how like delicate we are like if we don't have uh, a very strong support system um and we had we don't have something to um like uh becker talks about object transference and how we like we latch onto our parents because that is something that person hasn't figured out that's right yeah or at least they appear to yeah exactly. right early on these are the large ones right you know you're hungry they show up with food you're cold the heat gets turned on yeah and yeah, so from a psychological distance at an early age, they seem to be larger than life figures that um, if you just, uh, you know, is transference, if you're yeah. just like, all right, I'm with you, yeah, then life is good. Yeah, and, and it, it seems, and, it, and we don't know, we, we're not taught very often that when, um, once we, mature and once we realize who that person is um that you know that is not the only like form of our like safety and we need to start building other building blocks of safety or not safety but like forms of self-esteem or forms of you know so you know yeah 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 but safety is fine because yeah. self-esteem is the, the psychological attribute that allows us to feel safe right. and secure and again uh, you know you're being too self-deprecating when you say that you're having a hard time articulating these ideas because that's perfect okay you know and it really is because becker's point is that so much stuff is happening to us at such an early age that it's impossible we're not mature enough intellectually or emotionally to understand what's happening yeah you know and i i just i I, you really put it well a second ago when you said okay you know we don't get explicit advice about how to generate these other tools so you have your parents and becker's point is that you know, there comes a point when you realize that your parents aren't perfect yeah, and that they're going to die and yeah. that you're <laughs> going to die. And that's when people, according to Becker, unconsciously transfer their allegiance from their parents to their culture. Yeah. Now, again, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But 
Becker's point is that in a mature individual, you would be aware that that's what you're doing. Yeah. Because if you know that that's what you're doing, it's not that you won't do it, but you'll make more intelligent choices. And ultimately, ideally, get a more varied psychological toolkit. So what he says is that what a lot of people do quite unconsciously is they put all their psychological eggs in one basket. Yeah. You know, so they're like, oh, um, uh, every, uh, my entire self-esteem is based on how the Red Sox do this year. Yeah. Or I'm an American or whatever. Fill in the blank. I'm a vegan. I'm yeah. a lesbian. I hate the no worries. Yeah, no worries. We're not gonna. We're gonna let that go. But the, and and so, but but his point would be, well, we can do better than that. Yeah. You know, you can be proud of uh, being a good athlete, but you can also be proud of being a, a helpful person, and you can also take comfort in having a strong uh, social support system. Yeah. You know, so again, back to a point that you made earlier, there's lots of ways uh, to minimize death anxiety in pursuit of self-esteem, and some are better than others. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I, and when you were talking about how, like, how beneficial it is to become aware of which like which uh system or what uh brings you that self-esteem or you're aware of what you're changing that to um it can be very beneficial because you can choose it and whatnot and the funny thing is like after reading um that book the denial of death it 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 like takes a while you have to like really just think about yourself and think about why you're making decisions and whatnot. And the, and what I kind of came to, to try to try to understand how I was thinking was I kind of noticed how I gravitated to different figures, um, specifically ones who were just like the, I like to say a Yoda figure, somebody who's just like, like, He's not, he's not a real person. And, and what, and what I remembered about the book was like, that's somebody who like essentially can't die because he's a character, you know, he's living forever essentially. Um, so that I noticed too was like, all right, I want to be immortal because you know, that's something that you're constantly thinking. Sure. But it's more than that. Yoda was also wise and kind. Exactly. And, uh, you know, I think, um, you know, in the denial of death, Becker puts it in terms of we all uh, want to be heroic, and one way of doing that is to have heroes. Yeah. All right, but this again, so it's like sure, but let's have good heroes. Right. Um, Hitler was a hero to right. some. Yeah. I prefer Yoda. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I and I had gone through my childhood and and my adolescence just thinking. Well, I love Star Wars. I love Yoda. Me too. Or, you know, and I just like didn't put the pieces together and just like and realizing how an idea can uh, from a character can carry a lot of significance. Like the same like I like to compare um, another figure 
like Gandalf. Like there's the very similar, but they're different. And yeah. I'm just like, and I was a huge Lord of the Rings fan. Love had, Lord of the Rings. And I had a Gandalf poster or whatever. <laughs> just like, and it just it it didn't click until I was just like, all right, this is someone who I've really put a lot of my you know, um, like object transference from sure. my parents to them kind of. Um, and it's interesting. Becker talks a little bit about how we do that, especially with like figures who are kind of indestructible in a way. Yes. Um, but I also like to think that it was someone, like you said, somebody who you prefer, someone wise, like, or whoever it is for you, but someone who you like a role model. That's right. Yeah. And, and, and again, and not to belabor this, but the and people of goodwill could disagree about the specifics. Right. But we get into trouble when this natural yearning to submit to a heroic figure ends up focusing on people who are arguably evil, yeah. uh, for lack of a better word. So, and... It's easy in the extremes, you right. know, so I don't, I haven't heard anybody since I've been alive say that Jesus was an evil dude. Right. <laughs> uh, I don't see people pissing on Gandhi. Right. You know, so there are some people that are just, that. yeah, Mother Teresa, uh, you know, for the most part, uh, you know, it's like, well, these are unambiguously heroic figures worthy of admiration. And the fact that we get self-esteem uh, from uh, being extraordinarily fond of them, well, who could argue with that? Yeah. All right. But, you know, Attila the Hun. Right. Uh, Hitler. Yeah. Um, these are, I think, you know, again, I don't, know of anybody who with a straight face is going to be oh no hitler wasn't such a yeah. bad guy all right but then the the troubles arise in that ambiguous middle ground yeah and that's when people are garnering self-regard uh, by an unreflective admiration of folks who you could argue might not be worthy of it. Right. You know, so to be blunt and at the risk of being offensive to some, uh, I, I would say that President Trump is arguably um, a not great uh, person. Or to, a role model. Or a role model. Yeah. Um, you know, there's about 35% of the people in the U.S. who will vote for him regardless of what, hap of what happens. Yeah. And, and then there's other people that are like, oh, wait a minute. Uh, you know, you're a vulgar, sadistic, vindictive, yeah. pathologically narcissistic, sociopathic, racist, xenophobic, misogynistic, yeah. functionally illiterate, twittering Mussolini. That's bad. Yeah. And this is not to get into politics right but becker's point is the political is psychological yeah uh, very few of us make rational decisions when we choose our leaders 
Right. And so one of the, ch- the, the most important chapters, in my opinion, in the denial of death is the nexus of unfreedom. Yeah. You know, why is it that we are sometimes captivated uh, by leaders that maybe don't have our best interests in mind? Yeah. And of course, Becker's point is because those people make you feel good about yourself. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and and in times of trouble, it's it's just like they're they're the one who's assertive. They're exactly yeah. They're the ones who say, "I am the only one who can, who can keep you safe, right, and make you great." And you're and and in times of war, it's so crucial That's that correct. you're safe. You That's know? right. And th- so getting back to the the old days. You know, for most of human history, a guy with, uh, you know, it was usually a guy, but, you know, somebody with blustery confidence, I'm the best, fuck the rest. <laughs> yeah. Well, that probably helped. Yeah. Uh, and so, but maybe not so much today. Right. And and that's a common theme, I think, is a lot of what we're encountering now, um, the, the tribalism or... The, a lot of those aspects of our, you know, our um, programming aren't necessarily um, vital to us at this point in time. So it's like that. It's a very difficult issue. You know? It is. Uh, you know, and I, again, getting back to the E.O. Wilson guy, I, I really am stuck on that idea that we're, uh, yeah, space age technology yeah. with stone age emotion. It's a great line. Yeah, it is a great line. <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, it's tough because um, you know our culture seems to be like our culture on the one hand is going in a great direction in that there's a lot less violence than there was way back in the day. Absolutely, a lot of people are more more safe in a general sense. Absolutely. And I, it, and this is important, I think. And, yeah. uh, this is, a, you know, Stephen Pinker, the famous guy at Harvard, um, argues and makes a good case that in some ways life has never been better. Right. Certainly never been better for me. <laughs> yeah. You know, my biggest problem every day is what color shirt am I going to yeah, wear? Yeah. And this is all good. Yeah. And we certainly don't want to ignore that fact the counterpoint however is that um we're still not necessarily any less likely to end up in the relatively near future in a humanity ending nuclear nuclear conflagration yeah you know so there's there are some um I don't know if ironic's the right word, but there's some counterintuitive juxtapositions. Yes. Right? Things have never been safer. But at, <laughs> but um, you know, Nuclear. we are in a couple of weeks gonna have little rocket man uh, you know, across the table from yeah. Dotar Trump. Um, and these are two regardless of what you think about them as you know, yeah. just to speak as a psychologist, the, yeah. these are two um incredibly um inflammatory yeah unstable and potentially provocative creatures so there's that end of it yeah and then um there's the fact that our peace and prosperity has arguably been purchased 
at the expense of the planet's capacity to sustain human life yeah uh, like i'm supposed to be writing something i don't know if you've seen this book by this jared diamond uh, yeah. dude yeah but you know this fucking guy the, it's you know the books collapse how societies choose to fail or succeed and his point is that every major civilization so far on earth you think it's going to last forever but they never do yeah and that uh, when you look historically, when, when major societies collapse, it's often right after things appear to never have been better. Right. Or thrive. Yeah, or, just thrive. You know, so we're like, life's never been better as we climb up on the cliff, not realizing we're about to go over no, the edge. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's very true. Yeah. Um, and that is very clear to me as well in how, you know, we're just everything is like especially in the technology sector is just just rock like rocket launching to the moon yeah. kind of thing everything is going um you know automation yep. you know everything um it seems as though like i've listened to i've read the book um homo deus with uh and it's yuval Noah harari he's um oh, the israeli dude yes the israeli he knows a lot yeah he know, yeah he's, he's a smart guy yeah and he's talking about the inevitability of a lot of people having their their jobs are going to be obsolete and just like the nest the possibility of a universal basic income how like a lot of people's jobs we won't need anymore like with with automatic um cars yep. with um you know, a lot of the manufacturing processes, a lot of things, you know, yep. um, and it's it's an issue because um, the other thing is like uh, you you talked about the line, um, you know, Stone Age technology and we may come to the time where we're updating that technology and putting like processors in our brains. Oh, I you think know? it's we're almost there. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's an issue because we are it's a new frontier and it's and there we're like like we just talked about we're stone age technology how are we going to make this right you know it's just going to be very difficult yeah so on the one hand super exciting yes on the other hand um we are more vulnerable than we think. Yeah. You know, and I don't know if I was blubbering about this when we were at Williams together, but, you know, Nietzsche, who was, okay, yeah. uh, you know, crazy guy, but, yeah. you know, he said consciousness is the most calamitous stupidity by which we shall someday perish. Yeah. I was like, whoa, what are you saying, dude? And Nietzsche's point is that, you know, on the one hand, we have to be confident that we're moving in the right direction. But that also gives rise to arrogance or hubris, as yeah. the Greeks put it. And what some evolutionary psychologists point out is that th technology is great, obviously. Yep. But we've gotten to the point where very few humans would be able to survive for more than a day or two. If all of a sudden we wave the wand, yeah, and you know, and the, we're just where we are with no building, no whatever, yeah, you know? no internet, yeah, it'd be like, holy crap, you know, we wouldn't even be able to find our way across town, yeah. And I find that 
a um, discombobulating realization. Yeah. You know, it's... the only people that would survive are the ones that we mock as yeah. country bumpkins. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very true. It is. You true. know, um, one of the things I uh, I did some research on, but um, I part of the podcast I do is uh, like I did a few blog posts, and one of them I talked about. Um, humans and how we've kind of gotten away from um like instead of being part of an ecosystem now we're just taking advantage of each one because like when we were um hunter gatherers we were a part of the ecosystem oh, absolutely you know, we were a predator but uh an ecosystem needs predators that's correct so it's just um and now obviously we're the worst thing for the planet um but one thing that uh those um you know hunter gatherers got right was self-esteem one of the things they got right because guess what what they're doing is they're providing for each other but they're also living in harmony with the planet they're on with the animals you know plants everything and that that would Give me self-esteem. Absolutely. And, and the fact that in these, uh, you know, smaller, uh, you know, semi-nomadic hunter-gatherer groups, as I understand it, um, you know, the groups are small enough that everybody knows everybody. Yeah. And there were social roles. Yeah. For everybody. It was complex. It was yeah. complex, yeah. but it was also more ecumenical in yeah. that. You know, you everybody could do something that you could feel good about. Yeah. You know, one of the psychic dangers of today that Becker pointed out in the 1970s is that, you know, what we in the West value isn't realistically attainable yeah. for the average individual. Yeah. And this is why there's such a pervasive sense, I think, uh, of uncertainty and even depression amongst the your generation no definitely it's so true yeah it's um it's somewhat it's it's an interesting problem because um it just seems like it we're in a very it's obviously a very new time yes um and so i guess we're more and we're less and less prepared to deal with everything and we're we're growing up in it, so it's we're even more vulnerable. That's right. And um, it's difficult because we're just we're trying to grapple with what we're ne- like expected to do, what we're what we want to do, yep. and all trying to make it work. And it's just it's crazy because we are growing up. And the experience and lessons learned from our uh, ancestors, our recent ancestors, are are not necessarily relevant right now. And it's very, it's like, yeah, it's tough. Not only are they potentially irrelevant, they may be downright counterproductive. Yeah. That's what I find startlingly alarming. Yeah. Um, is, and I say this to Skidmore students, I say it to my own children. And I, it's not to be cynical, but it's like, wow, I just don't have much useful advice based on 
what happened to me a single generation ago. Yeah, yeah we are in new and uncharted territory. And while on the one hand, you all being the youth, yeah. there's some amazing things. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, but um, radical uncertainty is one of them. Yeah. And while that in part is a reflection of unlimited opportunities, psychologically choking on choice is quite unpleasant. You know, everyone wants to have choices. Right. You know, in the Middle Ages, there'd be no choices, right? Where are you going to live? Well, you live in the town where you were born. Yeah. What are you going to do? Well, you do what your dad did. Because even your last name would be your profession, right? What's your name? Oh, I'm Baker. I'm Goldsmith or whatever. So you didn't have much freedom, but you had a lot of security. That Yeah, that's a perfect, like, breakdown, I feel like. Because that is um, exactly the predicament that you get when you're when you kind of have that breakthrough of you know anything's possible. Yeah. You know you you're like this is amazing, but it's also terrifying. It is. And and, and now every person is being exposed to that. There you it's go. Crazy. So no no excellent. So that's correct. So take every person, you know, literally in some ways paralyzed by indecision in light of unlimited possibility forgetting for a moment that the opportunities are constricted and then multiply that by a large number of uh, young people and the issue is now that our culture is not a safe haven because that's right it's not providing the jobs it's not providing all these things that the earlier generations did and now that they're like okay i want to be like i have all these possibilities but i'm just gonna go and do what the culture says to do but the culture is not providing that you know yeah it, it's a difficult moment now you know of course people could say all right yes we need to step back and realize that this is what's happening yeah. And hopefully we will. The problem, of course, you know, I I like how Thoreau put it, I think, in Civil Disobedience when he's like, oh, everyone's like, oh, um, yeah, we have some problems and we'll fix them eventually. He's like, I don't have time for that. Yeah. You know, I need uh, I want to live now. Right. And, um, you know, and it, it. and the, the point and the problem is that there may be several decades or generations of young people that are caught in the psychological ringer yeah. because the culture hasn't caught up to what needs to happen. Exactly. Because technology exposed each little town, each little culture to the entire world. Absolutely. Unprecedented. And it's unbelievable. Yeah. It's like the the whole world at your fingertips right now, and now you can deal with it. Yeah. So and it, and and we like you said haven't put in place the right ways to deal with that. Um, it's difficult to say what will be the way. It's because things are just. It seems like we're at a ex, uh, exponential rate of change in that yep. sphere. So it's like, how will it change? How will we? 
be able to deal with that and it's interesting to think about at least yeah certainly <laughs> that's is. one thing yeah but if we don't think about it then i don't think much will happen so right. to, to be optimistic um just that we're having this conversation is grounds for optimism yeah and you know at the risk of sounding like a pedantic academic egghead but that's precisely what i am <laughs> uh you know i i like the idea of being open-minded and humble yeah. and uh in, here's where i admire some of the old-time conservative thinkers people like edmund burke okay who said you know um we need to be careful and not cavalierly dis disregard or dispose of what of the status quo because it may have a shit ton of problems but it also may work a lot better than any other alternatives right so i think that's good and that's where the conservatives have a point where they're like you know it's some conservatives are like it's not about tradition it's about being humble enough to realize that we may not know why certain things work yeah on the other hand, you know, if we let the conservatives have their way, we'd still be sitting on dirt floors and caves. So there has to be some capacity for change. Yeah. But that raises the issue of, well, okay, what do we do? Like you said a, yeah. a minute ago. And here I like people who say, well, we have to try lots of things. Yeah. And, and, and let's get some evidence and make choices based on outcomes some of which may be quite unforeseen yeah you know so I, i'm really preoccupied with the idea of the guaranteed income that you mentioned yeah um by the way it's not a liberal idea it actually is a conservative idea yeah uh, along with universal health care you know one of my kind of hobby horses these days is i think we have to get away from this tribal are you liberal or yeah. conservative and be like are, are you interested in making things better yeah. or not and if you're interested in making things better i think we can draw uh, good ideas from both the left and the right uh, and one idea that you know tends to be seen as liberal or progressive is well we need to change things yep but it's arrogant to assume that you know in advance exactly what we have to do yeah um you know That's we know good... that we need better health care but that doesn't mean that we know exactly how right. to do that yeah and but but um i, I i'm preoccupied with wanting to see what happens if yeah. if everyone was assured a baseline of income that's it yeah it's an interesting proposition i right. mean they're trying it in some third world communities okay. so they're actually doing randomized studies where some people are told you're gonna and i don't i i should know what countries these are but i don't but right. you take some people in in africa and you in, in countries in africa and you say okay you're gonna get x number of money whatever their currency is yeah 
And they're going to say, you know, conservatives say, oh, that's going to make you lazy. Other people say, no, if you have enough money that you know that you're not going to starve, that's going to make you responsible and ambitious. Yeah, it's going to provide freedom for expression. So let's see. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. No, I'm I'm definitely interested in that because a lot of times um, you just got to get just got to get going. And it takes a lot. It does take a lot. So, yeah. Um, it's really interesting to think about. I think, yeah, I'm just like you in the sense that I'm interested to see where where we're going. Because it is such a new time. And, 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 you know, there are so many different things to, you know, to, to see. Yeah. But um, one of the other things... Um, that we talked about earlier, I was mentioning how I really have tried to be somewhat of a um, well-rounded person. And I think that tied in perfectly to like, I think it's been out of necessity almost because that's the way uh, the times have kind of changed and kind of being like, yeah, you kind of have to be well-rounded because there are so many things you're exposed to. That's right. So instead of, my last name being Baker and I'm just, okay, that I'm going to be a Baker. Yep. So I'm going to be a really good Baker. <laughs> yep. Nothing wrong with being a great no, Baker. No, there's nothing wrong with that. That's right. <laughs> um, so it's just interesting to see, but, uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited to, you know, I, I think about another thing is, um, I think Becker talked about it a little bit is talking about that exposure to the, the uh, all these different possibilities is overwhelming and then you also have to realize that you can't do everything yeah you know um so yeah my kids are sick of me saying it but i believe it to be true and that is that and i say it to the students at the college and to remind myself but that's the day you become an adult in my opinion is when you realize that if you do thing a you can't do thing b right you know, because, and this is, it's good when you're in your youth and you're so hungry for life that you want to do everything. Right. But it is a hallmark of character and maturity to accept the reality that it doesn't, it can't be that way. Yeah. And uh, once you realize that every decision is precious because you're realizing what you're passing up. Yeah, there you go. It's like classic... Uh, you know, psych 101. It is opportunity yeah. cause. No, it it is. Yeah. Um, but knowing that, I would argue, makes us puts makes us in a position to make better decisions. Right. You know, so the guy I studied with in graduate school, he's dead, but his name is Jack Brum, and he studied what he, what's called pre-decisional. Um, psychological processes so it's like what what happens when you're choosing between attractive alternatives yeah you know so i got into two schools which one am i going to go to i like two people which one am i going to ask out right and the problem is and what jack demonstrated experimentally is that if it, it, let's say you're choosing between food at a restaurant you know am i going to get pizza or chicken yeah well if you're leaning towards pizza well, 
then that means you're less likely to choose chicken. Yeah. But then that means you want that even more. <laughs> so now I'm leaning towards the chicken. Yeah. But then I'm pissing on the prospects for pizza. <laughs> so what Jack showed is that prior to making a decision, literally in our head, we don't necessarily know it, but we're in this kind of psychological volleyball game uh, where we're just leaning back and forth. And I think that's psychodynamically why choosing is so difficult. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's very difficult. And, and part of, um, you know, who we are as people is like, because it's so difficult, we don't want to make choices. There you go. That it's huge. Yes. It's amazing how little we want to make. We want our life already made up yep. so early on absolutely but we also want to perceive that we're choosing so there's the uh, paradox uh, okay. we we really want to uh, on the one hand we want to feel like we have choices you know not again not to go all academic but this was uh, jean paul sartre the existentialist dude he was like you know uh, we're we're condemned to choose yeah you know that because we're conscious, we know that we have choices, but we don't really want to have to accept the responsibility for making them. Yeah. So we resent when we, our choices appear to be taken away from us. Yeah. But in the back of our minds, yeah, we want somebody else yeah. to make those decisions. Yeah, it's interesting because whenever we get to a point in time when we do have to make a decision um it's always it's always like a period of panic or yeah when when there's a a time of you know um uncertainty it's like like for example like for me when uh, i was right about to graduate college anytime you have like a break you know it's like oh what do i do what do i do what do i do um but i've just like thought about it and just like tried to embrace it because it is one of the best times to be in. Absolutely. Well, you know? couldn't have said it better. I, I mean, my my buddies, I went to college almost 45 years ago, and I'm still close with the guys I lived with. And we still, uh, we get together and are like, oh, remember our last year in college in spring break? We were all terrified. Yeah. <laughs> and, but, again, anxiety is not always bad. Yeah. You know, Kierkegaard Becker talks about this in the, um, in the denial of death. Kierkegaard said, well, if you really want to grow up, you, you, you don't have to graduate from college. You have to graduate from the school of anxiety. Yeah. And, and while anxiety can be painful and debilitating, it, it's also a psychological wake up call. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's your mind's way of getting you to pay attention to the fact uh, that things are unsettled and in transition. Yeah. And uh, while those are vulnerable moments, they're also springboards yeah. to creative opportunities. Yeah, very beneficial because a lot of times when we have our, whatever, you know, our plan is, yeah. or our, we're on a path, um, we kind of shut our minds off. There you go. And Sartre, who was brutal, he's like, if you want to do that, then don't be a person. Be broccoli. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. dude, that's it's harsh. So <laughs> true. Yeah, I mean, it's so true because, 
you know, when we get on a path, we we're seeing the end goal. We're just like, we're just waiting until we get there. Yep. And, and like the same way you could talk about death, like you're just waiting until we get there instead of just paying attention to what we're doing. Yeah, that's an important distinction. Yeah. That's correct because. Uh, and I like the metaphor of life as a journey. Yeah. And because basically, and so, there's another metaphor with Lucretius, so an ancient Roman, he's like, you know, life's like a banquet. And a, a meal would, wouldn't be fun if it never ended. Right. And it's also not fun if you're just eating everything so fast that you don't taste anything. Yeah. So back to the journey metaphor, yeah, if, you know, if you're just sprinting down the trail trying to get to the end as rapidly as possible, well, that's an unfortunate squandering of the best thing about being alive as a human, which is that you get to be aware of that you're on this journey. Yeah, we're chosen to be someone who's aware, so take advantage of the benefits absolutely and and savor the moment and it often seems so trite yeah but i must confess that you know i've spent too much of my time uh you know just kind of you know perseverating about the past or being so preoccupied with what's happening in the future that you forget that it's like a beautiful day. Yeah. And for the moment, everything is great. Yeah. And so I, I like the existentialist view, the, the Heidegger and the Nietzsche's and the Kierkegaard's of the world. And it seems like such, it is so obvious as maybe to seem trite, but when we were little kids and you're like outside playing, and you're so deeply and, and and enthusiastically involved in what you're doing that an afternoon seems like an eternity. Yeah. He's like, why can't we just keep doing that? Right. You know, we think of eternity as an amount of time, but the theologians don't see it that way. Eternity is like a state of mind where you're so deeply involved in living that you're momentarily unaware of the yeah. passage of time yeah and that that's the whiff of eternity yeah that is you know i mean it's that that's the goal right yeah there. that is the goal <laughs> yeah and, and i think every one of us as human beings even if it's just when we're kids we understand that yeah and and so there's the trick is how do we get there yeah it's uh it's very difficult yeah <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it wasn't difficult when we were kids that's right yeah Uh, and um you know that that's um you know in the new testament uh the the, i can't remember which books of course but jesus says you know if if you're going to get into the gates of heaven it will be as a child Uh, and uh and they talk about the foolishness and they don't mean it as being a fool and they don't mean that we should be degenerating into childishness per se right on the other hand there is something alluring about children's uh, unabashed enthusiasm for life that we certainly uh should go to extraordinary lengths to try to recapture 
uh, when yeah. we're no longer kids. No, I, I totally agree. I, one thing I admire the most about kids um, is how very true to themselves they are. Absolutely. I mean, because they're they're so concerned with themselves, which is they, I mean, they can't help it, but like, it's, it's good when you're aware of why you're doing something. They're very aware of themselves. That's right. And it's something that, you know, whatever happens as we mature, we, we shut out a lot of times who we really are. That's right. And sometimes it's difficult to even figure out who we are in the first place and how we've changed. And, you know, yeah, it's, uh, it's uh, really something – it's a gift if you're able to do that. Yeah, well put. Yeah. Um, I uh, – and it and it's uh, – and that's why it's so much work. But it's the best kind of work, you know, understanding who you are. Absolutely. Or um, just discovering things that, you know, that you enjoy and, and um, ways to express yourself that are positive. Um and it's it's one of the things that you can you can't you can work as long as you want on it and like you're saying it's like an eternity it's 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 something time flies when you're having fun yeah and and um you could work on yourself uh forever and it would still be worth it that's know? right and, and and by the way i like everything that you said it, it captures what i believe to be you know when someone's like all right what's my life about at its best uh, i like a guy named henry miller who wrote in the last century and he's like life at its best is when uh you make yourself into a work of art yeah. you know that you and, and but you put it in a lovely way it's like i have to get to know myself i have to learn how to express myself in a way that's creative and yeah. ideally uh, I do something useful for my fellow human beings. Yeah. And that is, in my opinion, the antithesis of narcissistic absorption. Yeah. You know, so when a lot of people are like, oh, that's really self-centered that you're going to spend so much time, uh, you know, or learning who I am. Uh, and... But most of us don't sit still long enough to even begin that quest. Yeah. You know, it's like get your face out of your phone. And um, uh, because that's the, that's not self-exploration. Yeah. Um, uh, that That's what Kierkegaard, he called it tranquilizing oneself with the trivial. Yeah. And I think it's an important distinction. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I think that... When we're um, when we're thinking about like people talk about you know self-centeredness and selfishness, um, all almost universally as a bad thing, um, but every decision we make, we're we're sacrificing one or the other thing, like we were talking about, and when we when we focus on when we make a decision. Oftentimes, um, you know, as long as we are considering, you know, the effect it has on others, we want to, in, like, do the best for ourselves, you know? Absolutely. And, like, uh, I think Becker put it, or no, you guys in your book, 
um, you talked about how important it is to have a great relationship with yourself. That's right. And you can't do anything for anybody else unless you have like a good relationship with yourself. Yeah. You know? Because that is um, when you depend on other things like say a relationship with someone else, it can be very, very detrimental. So, I mean, like it's always gets a bad rap, but a lot of times you have to get, you have to do things for yourself before you can do things for others. That's right. Um, you know, which again, I, that, uh, my father, my parents were not well educated and, um, but they were great humans. And, yeah. um, and that was what we were taught from very early on. Um, you can't help others unless you help yourself. So first you have to take care of yourself and then don't forget about other yeah. people. So self-interest is not always uh, pathological narcissism. Yeah. Like another example of how it can it can kind of backfire uh, uh, of, of not developing your relationship with yourself is I think uh, Robin Williams was someone who was just the best person to other people. He was so empathetic. Yeah. He, you know, hilarious. Yeah, but uh, hard on himself. Very hard on himself. Was, you know, suffered from a lot of issues. Um, I don't know too much about him, but I knew he did, you know, suffer. And, um, you know, developing developing that self um, is crucial. And... Um, you know, I I love like his acting. I always listen to his stand up. Yeah, me too. You know, he's hilarious. One of the best. Um, and he's definitely a role model in that sense of somebody who is really great at helping others. Um, and it just it it kills you because um, you know, you want to see um like. I can't be like happy that like that uh, some someone who I don't know I'm trying to understand like like he is able to help somebody but he can't help himself so I'm so I'm little like I'm happy he existed but I want to be like you know ideally he's you know a strong relationship with himself is yeah. what I'm trying to say No I think again yeah. good point yeah so um, another, another issue I think about is, um, you know, I, I think about, um, a, a big issue in, in the book that, that you guys made the worm at the core, um, was talking about, you know, group dynamics and how your cultural worldview is so important. And, um, a lot of times we are just trying to get followers for our cultural worldview. That's right. Um, and one thing that I've noticed is within the area of like a truth seeker and kind of how I pictured like my worldview is kind of someone who is, you know, looking for truth, looking for like reality. I really am someone who likes um, like an epiphany. It's a great feeling, yep. you know, um, you know, realizing something. Um, and uh, it's difficult because a lot of those people 
who uh like i've i've you know um got those revelations from different experiences throughout my life and a lot of times i was like i wish there were more people out there like saying this is how it really is but it goes back to the fundamental thing like people are hiding the real truth because then it's just going to bring out all these like you know you know it's going to bring out death and it's going to bring out issues um so it's difficult for me um it's difficult for this worldview to get followers because to get followers you kind of have to break down barriers yeah so this is just like an issue I, I thought wonder if you thought about because it's like um it's ironic. Yeah, it is ironic and it's a tough sell. You know, in our book we write about it at the end when I think we what we were like, oh, it's like um the difference between a rock and a a hard place. So you have some people that are really set in their ideas and they're very resistant to yeah, that's fine. any perturbation of them and they're not anxious maybe uh but they are very rigid and they're very intolerant of people that have different worldviews. yeah well then you have others and i think seeking the truth is a good way to put it because if you genuinely seek the truth then you have to be willing to dispose of ideas you thought were true but turn out not to be well intellectually that's a much more admirable epistemological stance but it does open you much more to anxiety and uncertainty yeah because the one and it's socrates basically the one thing i know is that i don't know yeah exactly (laughs) you know and so here's plato you know talking about in the allegory of the cave you know he literally says most people are sleeping while awake yeah and you know and that's basically plato's point he's like wake up (laughs) i yeah and the whole the actually like it's a phrase now is to be woke to be woke and (laughs) i I, and my you know i love that phrase it's and great. I, and I tease the youth because, uh, I, I don't know, I was in a, in Brooklyn a couple of weeks ago talking to a group of uh, high school students. And, you know, they were talking about to be woke. And I was like, Plato? And they're like, what are you talking about, dude? <laughs> uh, you know, that's from some rap tune or whatever. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, maybe. But also, let's understand that this is an old idea. And I love that it's making yeah. a comeback. No, I... It's funny because um, I always think about that. I'm just like, like I'll say it or someone will say it about me or it's just like, it's interesting because, you know, that's what, like, that's the goal. You know, you want to be aware. um, And, but my, my issue sometimes is like, I come to this, like, I always am looking for someone like, to well now i know uh like i'm 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 semi woke in the sense that i now know that i don't know yeah so i'm now searching which is good yes it and is. so i've reached that point um but a lot of times um i struggle with the fact that i also want to enlighten or or awaken others um who i might think well I know a lot of people 
would benefit from it. But I also want to focus on people who I think would would enjoy that awakening. Yeah. And um, so it's a constant battle because it it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot to do that. And I and I battle with do I or don't I because um, a lot of times it can create arguments. That's correct. And um, I think about if I was that person, I I would want them to like tell me um, because it took that before uh, it took someone to tell me that or X Y and Z for me to yes, yes. awaken. So so I try to remind myself that, but you do have to choose your battles and try kind of do like a mental game and try to understand them before you even introduce ideas. Yeah. No, fair enough. Uh, be, you know, um, again, Nietzsche has another, uh, one of his books was like philosophizing with a hammer. Yeah. And it's like, you know, you could be right, but still be heavy handed and wrong. Yeah. Even if well-intentioned, right. um, not everyone is re- not everyone's done with their nap shall yeah, we say exactly yeah yeah and uh the other thing is i'm looking um and I- i'm seeing a lot of like a figure that i would look up to like say yoda um uh, you think all right would yoda do this or would they just say okay they'll find their own way type of yeah, thing yeah there you, you go know? that's right so it's like maybe it's difficult because I would want Yoda to come knock on my door and be like, "Hey, guess what?" Yeah. You know, but it's it, it's so, but um, it's just an interesting uh, battle I play with myself. I yeah, guess. and again, I you know not to flatter you, but that Becker's point is that's the hallmark of character and right. maturity is to not arrogantly proclaim that you have uh, the, you know that you're the all-encompassing repository of wisdom and have yeah. an unequivocal lock on the truth yeah so much as i think that i'm at a place where under ideal conditions i may be able to influence somebody and in turn be influenced by them in ways that benefit us all right yeah and, that's a good uh formula i feel like um and he kind of talks also about um, his what he thinks is a good way um, to go about life. Um, and I, I may be wrong. I think he's saying that we need to create somewhat of like like a create uh, objective, creative uh, expression of something. That's right. Art. Yeah. Um, and because that is original. It stands alone, and it's something that, you know, it's just, it's an expression of who you are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I, and, and it could be anything. Yeah. So when, uh, you know, and this comes up in my thoughts, my classes, my family, you know, I, I do think that. Uh, it's also an idea, by the way, it goes back to Karl Marx long before he okay. was an economist. But Marx's point is we're all uh, we're we're conscious and we're unique individuals and we can't help it. Mar- in 1844, economic and philosophical manuscripts, Marx says 
we can't help it. You're when you're a unique individual who's also conscious, you have the urge to creative expression. Yeah. Now, of course, when we hear that term, most of us think, oh, I'm artist. Yeah. And art is indeed one form of creative expression. Yeah. But so is anything that we choose to do with passion and integrity. Yeah. You know, so uh, um, I like to cook and I, I own part of a restaurant here in town. Yeah. Well, I'm not an artist, but for me, cooking is a form of expression. You're doing podcasts. Right. These are, you know, there's no... In principle, there's no limit to the variety of ways that each of us as individuals could uh, be manifested in creative ways. And that, to me, that gives me extraordinary hope. Yeah, it is interesting to see how how the, how broad the spectrum is. Yes. And, um, you know, it's, it's tough because... Um, I always like, I guess maybe it's the way I grew up, but it's, it's almost like, um, it seems like the environment that we surround ourselves in America, it's, it's kind of counterproductive to creative expression in some ways. And it's, and it's tough because you need money. (laughs) You need a lot of things. And, uh, that's right. And, to express yourself creatively you need that ultimate freedom yep and so maybe it comes back to the idea of a basic income in the sense that what possibilities of creative expression can can come out of that that's right and that would be really interesting to see yeah good point so many different possibilities yeah but uh yeah so um uh i guess a few final questions um i guess um you know uh a lot of people um are kind of i guess in my age are now in this period of time where you know they're in limbo you know um and you talked about how with your kids you were like guys i i i don't know how much advice i can give you but um, just, um, uh, I wanted to get maybe your thoughts of some, um, few things that have really helped you some, um, advice for people who are uncertain or, um, you know, just maybe some decisions you made or some things that have helped you along the way. Wow. Um, <laughs> I no, I, you know, question, I, so. so yeah, my, my dick response to that is if I could do that, I'd be chugging rum out of coconut with my <laughs> nobel prize but i but yeah no i i to, i'm gonna put it back on you because i think you have said all of the things that i would advise and, and what i mean by that is to just take the time to become cognizant of what's happening around you so my my to be a little bit more specific a lot of the uncertainty that prevails with the youth you know the 20 somethings i think a lot of people in your age group are taking it out on themselves yeah 
rather than realizing that it's a product of the moment. Yeah. Now, realizing that doesn't let you off the hook, right? Right. So you're still the one who has to make decisions about how to proceed in light of those facts. But just knowing that we are in a time of radical uncertainty, yeah. I think is a good start. Yeah. I think it's also a, a good start um, to note that sometimes the best advice is to do something. Yes. You know, so take action. Take action. So the guy that um, one of the guys who trained me is a very talented clinical psychologist, a guy named David Holmes at the University of Kansas. And people would come in and they'd be all depressed. And they'd be like, okay, Dr. Holmes, you know, what am I going to do? You know, let's talk. And he was like, fuck that. Go out and take a walk. And they'd be like, what? And he's like, yeah, do something. Yeah. If you liked walking, then walk more. Explore it further. Explore further. If you don't care for that, do something else. And, and I found that to be great advice for myself and my kids is like, all right, I don't know what I want to do. Well, nobody does. Yeah. Or at no point in my life did I ever say, oh, I would love to be an experimental social psychologist. Yeah. It's like, well, that kind of happened. Some people do know exactly what they want to do, and that's great. Yeah, it's a gift. But for most, I would just say, well, you get out of uh, so many Skidmore students, they're, you know, weeks before graduation, they're like, I am screwed. I don't know what I want to do. I'm like, this is not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. All right. I don't know what I want to do. That's only bad if that's grounds for paralysis. Yeah. But if you could, with a little bit of enthusiasm, embrace the uncertainty and to say, well, I'm going to do something. If that works, I'll keep doing it. If not, I'll do something else. Yeah. I think that that's also a, a, a good strategy. But I, I think, uh, you know, it's like, and all these things are common sense masquerading as psychological <laughs> insight. Don't beat up on yourself, but that's not grounds for laziness or irresponsibility. But it can't be overstated. But it cannot yeah. be overstated. Yeah. And, and um, you know, and again, I, I savor the moment. Yeah. That's Almost amazing. every one of us that might listen to this podcast or anything like it, you know, again, at the risk of sounding silly, these are first world problems. Yeah. You know, we're not in Syria getting bombed right hoping that we could have a twinkie someday right you know we're in extraordinarily favorable conditions most of us yeah and um and i think that the the trick is you know how do we you know from a relatively large palette of options make good choices yeah and then the only other or another thing i would say is that too often people perceive that they don't have choices when yeah. we really do that's a great point yeah it is not because i said it because <laughs> I, I didn't 
Yeah. Um, you know, it's back to Sartre. Yeah. Uh, who just said, you know, you could be chained in prison. And it's like, yeah, my body's in chains, but you don't have my mind right. in chains. And, I, and I, so this is grounds uh, for optimism. Uncertainty can be good. Anxiety can be good. Do something. Yeah. Do it with passion. Do it with integrity. Don't beat yourself up. Don't beat yourself up. Don't be afraid to find who you are. Yeah. And, um, yeah, enjoy the moment. And in, in, yeah. enjoy the moment. Yeah. Um, all great points. I appreciate you for, uh, having this conversation. I really enjoyed it. Um, and, uh, yeah. So thanks again. Yeah. I enjoyed it also. And let's yeah. do it again someday. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> All right, so that was the interview with Professor Sheldon Solomon. I hope you guys really enjoyed it. I had a great time with him, and I'm definitely excited for another opportunity to talk to him. Um, we got to talk about a lot of great things, and I I sprung uh, that, that always difficult question at the end where I'm just like, oh, so you got any advice for us young guys out here or... Any, or um, us other humans out in the world but he was uh very you know articulate in in his answer and i know you guys just heard it but you know it's like open um and re-emphasize the point he makes um about not being hard on yourself um taking action and uh and and one one of the more important ones I thought was um, always having that mental, like mind over matter mentality, um, knowing how powerful your mind is, um, knowing that you can always change your circumstances. Like if you're in, like he used the example, if you're in prison, uh your body's in prison but your mind isn't you know you can you can condition your mind to to do so many incredible things um i've uh listened to a few podcasts where they talk about the placebo effect and how effective your mind is at convincing themselves um that something is working with like you may be eating um food that's bad for you but your mind is telling you it is so it releases certain enzymes that works better than if you're mentally thinking that what you're eating is bad for you um and just things like that you know um if you tell yourself that you take the sugar pill you don't but you think that that pill is going to lower your blood pressure it actually physically lowers your blood pressure that is the power of the mind and you're able to condition it. So that's something to keep in mind. You know, a positive attitude, something like that. You know, like we talked about in the podcast, how powerful your mind is to be able to um, put thoughts of death, put that impending mortality and put it away, shove it down. That's a powerful mind. Our ability to be um, blissfully unaware or, um, you know, we're able to avoid 
those thoughts on a daily basis is an incredible accomplishment um, to the point of just like possibly disbelief that we will ever die. And it's, and it's crazy how we're able to create these narratives and stories um, in order to help us um, come with, to grips with different things. So just always know that like your mentality can totally change the aspect of your entire life. And when you're in a rut or when you're in a period of time where you think you can't do something, you know, your your mind is the only thing that's stopping you because you can if you change your mentality, you can't. It's amazing. Um, there was this interview with Joe Rogan and I think his name was David Goggins. He was he's a ultra marathon runner, um, just does insane, uh, puts his body to the set test. He was a Navy, Navy SEAL and he's just done incredible physical accomplishments. And what he's just saying is like he was able to go through so much mental and physical suffering. And he just like tells his brain like, like, no, I'm not done. And and just keeps going like the ability to basically turn your mind off and is and, and just like power through. Uh, so that's just something to think about. Um, and then the other take home message I was thinking about, there are so many, um, I really enjoyed listening to this interview. Um, but one is the ability to create a diversified source of self-esteem and how crucial that is. Now we talked about, um, uh, professor Solomon mentioned how um, having like say the Boston Red Sox as want like a major source of your self-esteem or or like um, your your appearance or your ability and and just like the the less you have the the less um, uh, sources you have the worse you're gonna be the worse off you're gonna be because a lot of those things are vulnerable and you know you need to diversify and though and and even better is when those sources are something that's in a way indestructible um and and it and what we talked a little bit about how important it is to have a good relationship with yourself that is the primary source that is the primary source for your self-esteem you need to get that from yourself you cannot get that from any other thing you need to get that from all different aspects about yourself you need to have a healthy relationship with yourself and not relying on on external factors for your self-esteem like in the boston red sox is one like yeah they'll be there every year but they may like break your heart every year too so that's that's another thing like if you if you depend on people that's that's a risky thing to do because they're they will die and they 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 are also human and they care about themselves first so that's also extending those um or or you're like if you depend on something that that has a chance to fade what you need to do is kind of 
reinforce something that you can build within yourself that will last a long time. Like, for example, um, there are a lot of ways to do that. Like, now, I'm not saying that, like, it's not that it's bad to take um, it to use a relationship with someone else as a source of self-esteem, because that is one of the main um, and and good sources of self-esteem is a relationship with someone else or a relationship with others. And my only like thing I'll say is that you need to have a lot. You need to diversify that and you need to um, not singularly depend on that. You need to have other sources for when something tragic happens or when you, you lose that person or they, um, that relationship ends. Um, so definitely have good relationships, but also know that you need to, uh, feel comfortable in your own skin and, and you don't have that dependency, um, so that if something does happen, you're able to stand on your two feet. Um, and then, and then just talking about other, other things, um, that are, you know, good ways to build, you know, self-confidence and, um, self-esteem, um, trying new things. That's when we, when I talked about, uh, with Professor Solomon about like being more, uh, of a jack of all trades, more well-rounded. That's, that's crucial. I mean, um, just to give an example, I recently, um, tried, uh, a one-month uh, trial of jiu-jitsu, which is uh, essentially wrestling, but it's a form of martial arts and combat. But uh, just learn to wrestle a little bit. Um, it was really uh, a difficult but cool experience because I was learning something new. Anytime you're learning something new, it's a positive experience and you're building self-confidence once you're learning a skill. And this is certainly in that realm where you're developing a skill. It's also humbling. So you like, you know, learn, you're just exposed to a whole new world and you're also able to slowly build and grow and take pride and self-esteem in the fact that you've gotten better at something. And, uh, it could be anything, you know, um, it doesn't have to be physical, it could be mental, like you're working on a project, but you want to try something new, and and just like always testing yourself, always trying to expand, uh, because when you're able to do that, when one thing falls off, you're able to lean on another, so those were the, uh, some main takeaways, sorry to um, take more of your time but uh I really enjoyed that um interview I got a lot out of it and I'm excited I mean we got a lot of um uh, cool guests coming up I'm headed down to DC this weekend I'm gonna stay with a friend and uh from school I'm gonna interview him and a bunch of other people hopefully um I will be able to get a few good podcasts out of that and uh also, I got jaw surgery coming up, so hopefully that will tide me over until I can really uh, interview and talk again. 
Um, but until then, um, thanks for listening, guys, and we'll see you next time.